So good morning to all of you. It's good to see you. And uh, it's good to be out here and not inside a building this morning. So a strange thing happened uh, in a moment where, you know, as, as a pastor, we often get invited into difficult relational conflicts, not of our making, but we're invited in to be a part of the resolution or a mediator. And many of those conflicts are marital conflicts. And, uh, and it's interesting when you go in and the intensity is very high and, and one of the people, in the, one of the couples, uh, individuals in that couple might say, you know, I, I really don't see any ability or hope to go forward. They're ready to shut it down. And, and then there's usually an appeal from the other that says, well, let's just give it one more try. Well, what's interesting is sometimes in these situations that, you know, you seek advice from another individual like a pastor. It's like, it, not always do we have specific answers to your situation. But not too long ago, in a situation like that, meeting with a couple that basically was seemingly hopeless, and, and it was on the verge of separation and on down the line, and just one moment, not of great articulation on my part, but just one moment where I said, after listening to both sides, I said, I actually have a lot of hope for this situation. And both of them looked at me stunned. I was like, no, I really do have a lot of hope in this situation. Based on what the longings of, of each of your hearts are, you actually long for each other, so therefore I have a lot of hope. Instead of being focused in on what is broken, maybe start building towards a vision that is different. What is amazing is just saying the word hope and saying that somebody else believes there is a lot of hope was a game changer in that relationship. And it's totally shifted the relationship between them. And things are going different. What is it about that single word hope when you can tell in a situation and context when there's hopelessness, there is no forward momentum. But as soon as you bring a sliver of hope, it can change the dynamic of the situation. In sports, it reveals this very well, that when it seems hopeless, you can tell that everybody's energy is lower. But as soon as there's some kind of hope, they rise higher. It's a very interesting fact that after, yes, hearing the Patriots win another Super Bowl, yeah, you're the only one that feels that way, the, the thing that was said by many of the players that were being interviewed after the game is that even though they were down by several points and there was very little time on the clock, they all referenced the same thing, independently referencing the same thing. When you have Tom Brady as your quarterback, there's always hope. So you don't stop playing, right? And, and, 
And when you have a player like that on your team that you feel like is, can be the difference in the end, you don't stop playing. But if you don't have a player like that as your quarterback, the tendency is you let down. This is insurmountable. We don't have somebody that can help us cross that line. So hope is a significant game changer. Today, we are going to look at how hope can shift from no forward motion to all of a sudden life expectant. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 8. We, our ushers have Bibles in their hands right now that if you would like a Bible, just put your hand up and they'll be glad to provide you one. We'll be in Romans, chapter 8, for, for pretty much most of the text, and then we'll go to Hebrews, chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me reference one more time where hope made a difference. Not too far from here, a few years ago, a few decades ago, one of our presidents had drafted a letter to accept the fact that the United States was no longer going to be united. He wrote a letter acknowledging there was going to be a separation. This was written on the eve of a great battle. And for those of us that love history, you know what battle I'm talking about and you know which president I'm referring to. It was Abraham Lincoln on the eve of Gettysburg. Gettysburg was a game changer. For two years, there had been nothing but defeat for the Union. And now the battle was going to take place on northern soil. And Abraham Lincoln understood that the psychology of the nation was hinging upon that battle. They could, they could not afford a loss on northern soil. They could not afford the threat any longer. It was going to force an acknowledgement of separation. So he pens a letter that was going to be read in case of defeat. We all know that that never happened. There was victory that day, but war continued for several, several years afterwards. But the next week, he writes a different letter. And then it is read at Gettysburg as part of the dedication of that battlefield. And one of the statements that he said there is on your screen now. Is, are those the words of a man without hope? No, he says, today we have resolve. Resolve. In other words, commitment, fortitude, energy, and anticipation that this union will be established furthermore. The difference between the first letter that Abraham wrote days before to this letter that was declared months later is significant. One had given up hope. The other one found hope. Something changed. And it was a victory on the northern soil. So in our culture... 
Something has happened where institutions are trying to figure out why, statistically, we are living in the most hopeless generation of all time in the history of the United States. There is more prevailing hopelessness than ever before. So this is an issue that should, it probably even does, rise very close to the heart. When you think about hope, hope is something you can't see. You simply can't see it. In fact, the Bible says this in, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 24, in the last part of it, it says, but hope is not something you can see at all. So who hopes for what they already have? There is no such thing as hope for what you already have. You have it. Hope is an anticipation of something you don't have. You can't see it, but you, you, yet you can anticipate it from afar. Hope also provides the incentive to actually keep going forward when things are difficult. Abraham Lincoln wasn't declaring that the war had been won. He merely was able to say, we're willing to have resolve to keep going forward to preserve this union because he now had hope. And he gave hope to a nation. So hope is something that then can provide the, en the energy then, the incentive to keep going forward even when life does not go well. Even when life might, as you might say, and even impossibly in stronger terms, when life stinks. It's hard to be motivated to pick yourself up when life is difficult. If you take away hope, it can be catastrophic to the human soul. If you take it away, it can be catastrophic. And we're going to get there in a moment as to what I mean by that. And if you remove hope, then you have definitely chosen to stop the bus. If you remove hope, you're dead in the water where you stand. There is no forward motion. So to that idea of an epidemic of hopelessness in our country... This actually came out of a study from Princeton University in 2015 that raised alarms to this idea of this prevalent hopelessness in our society. They draw from the actual statistics of our lifespans to get there. You see, up until 1999, the average lifespan of an American was growing by 2% every year for decades. For decades, our lifespan was growing by 2% every year. But just between 1999 and the end of the study in 2013, our lifespan was going down by a half percent every year. So why is the death rate increasing? Actual studies show that it's not because we're dying of sickness or health-related issues, but rather from suicide rates that are astronomical and death by drug abuse or alcohol abuse or because of substance abuse, 
those are health-related diseases to that abuse. So you see that through the things that we do to try to ease the moment or escape our pain, drugs become the escape, which ends up leading us to dependency and then ultimately to hopelessness. And at some point, you stop living. And what was interesting, now this is where society and those who are doing such studies offers very little to the, stat, the data they offer. You know what their recommendation was to fix it? Was bigger government. The government is the solution to our hopelessness. Now, I am a pro-American. I vote. I believe very much in our society and the, the need for good government. But I am not going to put my hope into a political system. It's just the truth. As much as it is our responsibility to vote and to participate in the freedoms as an American, and as much as I appreciate, I have had the opportunity to pray with many of our elected officials just in the last few weeks. I am all about having a good government, but the government is not the source of fixing a hopeless society. That is not going to happen. Here's why. Here's why. The top 10 things that cause hopelessness will tell you the government can't fix it. Here's what they are. Again, doing stat data, this is literally coming out of the studies. It says this. First of all, the top reason that people find a sense of hopelessness is they feel alone or feel abandoned. They feel alone or feel abandoned. The government cannot fix that. Or number two, that life seems to be out of control. Things are happening that you can't get the grip on and, and you're trying to seize the control of it only to see it spiraling out of control. It's snowballing against you. Thirdly, people are struggling to see a sense of purpose with their life. Or fourth, they're grieving a significant loss that they have no tools by which they can handle the grief from that loss. Five, they don't have, you don't have what you need. People are feeling like there's something they need, but they, they don't have it, and they keep trying for it. They think it's going to solve their issues. They pursue it only to find it. It's always elusive, and they're never going to have it. And when they realize they that this thing that they want, and they're never going to have it, and, and they get to that realization, they give up. They choose hopelessness. For some... They find hopelessness because they've done something so significantly wrong, they think there is no ability for redemption. They've done something so significantly wrong, there's no way out of fixing it. Sometimes hopelessness comes, number seven, is being deeply wounded by somebody. I've done funerals of teenagers where the reason for their suicide was because they were deeply wounded by another. Eight, 
Some people find hopelessness because they are being pulled in the wrong directions. They have the wrong influences in their life. Nine, they're hounded by fear of failure, fear of of being harmed. And they let fear then become the dictator of their choices. Ultimately, that will lead to hopelessness. And then lastly, number 10, reason why people get to a hopeless place is because they see what lies before them as nothing but defeat. They see no victory. They see no purpose. They, it all becomes a defeated mentality of what lies ahead. So if the government can't solve such issues, who can? What can? How can hope not be fleeting? How can hope, a hope that will last, actually be found that can be a game changer in your life, in your relationships, in your work relationships, and in your families? How can there be a difference where hope rises in the middle of it and it helps you go forward when maybe you've chosen historically to give up? Going back to that Romans chapter 8, in verse 24 where he says, For in this hope we were saved. This hope is that there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, who are found in Jesus Christ. To those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is in that we have hope and are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. So who hopes for what we already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So let me unpack this for a moment. What is this hope that is being talked about that's connected to this idea of being saved? You see, in Scripture, it speaks to a storyline that God created you and I to have relationship with with him. And because the original humans, Adam and Eve, chose to sever that relationship by disobeying God, that relationship between us and God was severed. But then God initiated a plan immediately. And that plan was to reconcile mankind back into relationship with him. But it was going to require another Adam another perfect human being who had yet to sin. And so later, thousands of years later, God reveals that in his son, Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, born without sin, lived his life without sin, and then came to a place that we know as Golgotha, surrendered to death, which was not something he had to do, but he did for you and I. And as a sinless man died on that cross, therefore paying the penalty of death that was due you and I. And then on the third day, resurrecting from the grave and therefore providing not just penalty paid for, but then providing life anew, we have life in Jesus Christ. Therefore saving us from eternal damnation and giving us opportunity to live eternally With the Father God. So, regardless of how life works out here, when we have that hope 
for life eternal with God, then you can prevail with purpose in the moment and in life. Because we have a hope that is beyond. And that's why he says, if we have a hope that we do not yet have, but we wait for it patiently, because we know we are being saved. Then we go on to verse 28, where it says this, and we know that in all things... God works together, works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There you go. Remember what hopelessness says? It says there's no purpose. There's, life is just futile. There's nothing to anticipate. I'm at the mercy of just the storms of life. According to this, it says, no. God will work on your behalf. Because he loves you, and he has called you to a purpose. He has called you to a purpose. So your life isn't just a random set of events that is circumstantial, but rather there is a God that is working in your life, bringing about his greater purposes in you. Having something beyond the power of humanity that is invested in my life does give hope. Especially when I know that the one that's working on behalf of me today is also preparing a place for me to be with him for eternity provides even more hope. But he doesn't just end there. He talks about this idea of ultimate victory. Verse 31, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we say in response to such things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Remember, hopelessness says there's defeat. I can't win, so I stop going forward. This says, no, that God loves you. He is working on your behalf, and if he is for you, what could possibly prevail against you? If God is for you, what could possibly prevail against you? For those who are found in Christ Jesus. Then continuing reading, verse 35. Who then can separate us from the love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered like sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That does not sound like a defeated statement that God is giving us. No, God is saying, you should have hope because I am providing it to you. I am working on your behalf. And for those that you might think God is not strong enough, are you kidding me? God is your defender as well. He is working to give purpose to your life. He becomes the defender in your life. And then he says that all these things that you might struggle with in, in the hardship of life or the persecution of life does not matter if you're lacking for clothes or you're lacking for food. God is for you, and therefore, what could possibly stand against you? Verse 38 says this. This hope is rooted in and revealed in God's Son. Look what he says in verse 38. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers here on this earth, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found 
in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, right? That says, this is God dropping the mic and walking away. That means there is nothing on this earth no power, no authority, nothing that is above us, nothing below us, nothing beside us, nothing that seems to be an overwhelming influence around us can possibly defeat the defending God, the God who loves and then reveals that love and that hope in his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 6 to conclude. In Hebrews chapter 6, this is my final word that I want you to hear. This is so important because I believe many here are struggling deep inside with hopelessness. And hopelessness can become an enemy to your soul that will stop you from going forward. It will cause you to cease seeking answers and purpose. It will cause you to act defeated and therefore give up and then be succumb in your soul to things that could harm you. So look what he says here in verse 19 of Hebrews 6. It says, we who have Jesus, have this hope as an anchor to the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Did you hear that? We have this anchor for our soul. We have this anchor for our soul and therefore we have this hope and that anchor is found in Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can then have hope. Imagine a ship that is in the midst of a storm and it's in the bay. If it is not anchored, it will crash against the seawalls that are there. It will be destroyed. But if it is anchored and secure, then it will make it through the storm. And there's hope. Jesus is that and can be that for your life. He wants to give you hope so that if life storms are coming strong against you, that you have something deep down in your soul that anchors you because you have hope in Jesus Christ. You'll discover that even in the midst of storms, there is purpose to it that God can bring in your life. That in what may seem by others to see a hopeless situation, those who have Jesus Christ will see through it and say, you know, whether or not I lose my life in the storm, I have hope because I am saved in Jesus Christ. You see, when you have hope in Jesus, it is lasting because he is not dead, he is alive. He is operating presently and will operate on into the future. He cannot be hindered by what you are hindered by. Therefore, in Jesus, from the core of our being, our soul, we can find true, lasting hope. True, lasting hope. That regardless if you have a marriage that is failing, regardless if you have relationships that are seemingly so broken they can never be reconciled, that if you feel like you've lost so much in your life, you've, you've done some things that have hindered your job and your career or have hindered your standing in society, you can begin anew with a lasting hope 
by anchoring to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I recognize that you do love us. You are our defender. You are for us. You're not against us. You are bringing about hope in our lives. Our desire right now is to cry out to you as our hope. So God, I ask that you would provide hope in our lives. If there's somebody that came here today hopeless, may you renew hope in them by them having a relationship with your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being that anchor that all of us so desperately need, that we know right now you stand at the right hand of the Father advocating for the saints. Jesus, I say thank you for the hope that we have. But now by your Holy Spirit, work in the lives of those who are hopeless here. Help them see that you want to give purpose to their lives. Help them see that you want to anchor them in the midst of these difficult storms they're facing. And that they do not have to operate in defeatism, but rather in hope that helps them step forward. Jesus, help them find that hope in you and not any other hopeless idea that might be postured by society. So work in our hearts now, I pray. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes remaining closed. If you came to this park today without a relationship with Jesus Christ. All it says in Romans 10 that you need to do to begin that relationship with Jesus and find hope. Is to confess with your mouth that he becomes Lord of your life. That he becomes the leader and director of your life by which you can find purpose. And secondly than then to believe in your heart that he is the redeemer of your soul, that God did indeed raise him from the dead and then provide life eternal for you. So if you confess with your mouth that you are a sinner in need of his lordship and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is, as the risen Lord, the scripture says you will be saved. So cry out to God right now in this moment. Acknowledge him as Lord and say, I do believe that you've come to die for me and then came to life so that I might have life eternal. I give you my life. Lead me, Lord. Change me and give me hope. So God, I just pray that that many will have prayed that now in the name of Jesus. If anybody here has prayed that prayer for the first time today, would you be willing to just put up your hand to acknowledge before us that you now have hope? You do that. I see that hand. That's awesome. Hey, saints, what do we do when we know somebody's given their life to Jesus? We know, we know that there's a party in heaven when that happens. Is there others that would say, yes, I have hope now because of Jesus? Awesome, awesome. See that. God be praised. If you'd like to talk to somebody today, there are many ushers here that would be glad to pray with you. There are many people that also have lanyards that'd be glad to pray with you. They would love to share more about a relationship with Jesus.